we have a beautiful psalm today, and I was so blessed that it fell to my lot to get to teach on it this morning because it ministered to me so much, especially in this last week. And uh, not every, not all of you know, but I went back to work after uh, Christian left for college, and uh, some people have asked me, "Oh, what job did you get?" And so I say, "Well." Did you see that movie Spartacus? You know when they're on that Roman slave ship and there's a guy at the back and he's whipping and they're like rowing and faster, faster. I got his old job. So this psalm has helped me in that new uh, embarkation of career. And uh, I really appreciated the Lord ministering ministering to me this week through this psalm. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, the power of your word, Lord, that can transform our lives, it can uplift our soul, uplift our heart, it can strengthen us. Lord, we love you, and I just thank you for the worship this morning, the beautiful words, Lord. I pray that they wouldn't just be words, but they were offered up as our true praise and our true heart to you. And I pray that it would be like this this morning as we go through in the study of your word. And we thank you and praise you that we can be here together, Lord, as sisters, as your daughters, and now will you open our ears, will you open our hearts to receive your word? Will you fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would truly hear what you would speak to us today and that we would go out of this place closer to you, more obedient to you, trusting in you with our, with our countenance lifted up because you have poured your love and grace upon us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so turn in your Bibles to Psalm 42. Verse 1, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And I'm just going to pray again. Lord, Your word is so beautiful and such an encouragement to us. And now, Lord, minister to us and bless your word as we go into it now in depth. I praise you. I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we're starting off, I'm going to give you a little background, a little overview to the chief musician, Maskell. Uh, that's not his name. That's what type of a psalm this is. It's a contemplation of or for the sons of Korah. This 42nd psalm is dedicated to the chief musician for the sons of Korah. It's dedicated to the master of music, what we would say today the main uh, worship leader. It's a tribute. And it's a dedication worthy of that honorable position. And it is called a maskil. That's a Hebrew word which literally means enlightened. And it comes from the Hebrew root word meaning to have insight, to ponder and wisely understand. It's a psalm with something special to teach, uh, like Psalm 32, which we'll be getting to in a couple weeks. And also Psalm 78 falls into this category. And also it can mean a song that the psalmist wrote in a very clever way. But basically for us, it's an instructive psalm that teaches us and it's full of deep expressions from the human soul and the deepest human emotions. And that choice band of singers, the sons of Korah, they have been instructed by King David to make this beautiful psalm belong distinctively to their group as a special song, especially for their family. So it's dedicated to them. Just like, I don't know if you remember, in the old days, you used to be able to call up the radio station and dedicate a song to someone special. I don't think they do that anymore, but you used to be able to do that. Or you probably, we probably all heard a song that was written especially for someone. Well, that's what David has done here. But it's even better because it's not only a tribute It's a song that teaches and encourages and reminds us to hope in the Lord. And if you didn't already know about the sons of Korah, they had a family tragedy in their history. But they also had a unique privilege and honor. Korah was a Levite. That means he was a descendant of Levi, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And the Levites were the special tribe chosen by God to assist in ministering in the tabernacle first uh, and then later in the temple. They were the workers that assisted the priests. And back in the book of Numbers, mainly in chapter 26, we read that while they were in the wilderness wanderings, Korah had rebelled against God when he complained and challenged the authority of Moses and Aaron to lead the Israelites. So God dealt with it. He sent judgment against the rebellion and opened the ground with fire and it swallowed up Korah along with 250 other men and their families who had joined in that rebellion. And in Numbers 26.11, it says that the children of Korah did not die. So though all Korah and his bad company and all the children of those associates were swallowed up alive in their sin, the sons of Korah were the ones spared from God's judgment. They received grace and they were preserved. So after this terrifying event takes place, they recognize the mercy they received. And maybe this is why they dedicated themselves to playing, singing, writing music, to glorify God, that praise music, because they were so grateful to God. And anyway, we can apply All that is expressed here in this 42nd Psalm to ourselves as well. The Lord has rescued us from going down into a fiery pit of destruction and judgment and saved us. 
And although David is not mentioned specifically as the author, Bible studiers and commentators agree that it does bear all the marks of his style and experience in every word. It's a psalm written by someone who has experienced very hard affliction, persecution, who has been in the depths of despair. He's been depressed, and he's been able to work through it. Work through it all and choose praise to God over doubting God. So verse 1, it continued, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul for you, O God, is panting. It's acute thirst. Almost all of us, probably at some time in our life or another, we've experienced times of great thirst. It's a natural craving that God has built into us. For our very survival, we have that drive, those drives to eat, to, have, to drink water, to rest. If we don't drink water, we become dehydrated. And in a very short time, just even a couple of days, our body shuts down and we die. So here is a picture that the author has given to us, an animal, a deer, that isn't just getting a drink of water. The animal is panting. The animal is desperately thirsting for a drink of water, looking, smelling, searching for the water source that will keep it alive. It's absolutely necessary and vital for this deer to find that water, so vital if it is to live even another day. And so our own human body, just as we need oxygen, water, food, shelter to survive and live, our soul thirsts for the living God. It's been built into us by God, those physical cravings, and it's also built into us those spiritual cravings. Deep down inside the soul of every person, there is a craving after something that is more than just the physical experience, the physical existence. All cultures of all ages have chosen something to worship, to try and fill this instinct and satisfy that craving. It's an attempt to fill a void, but that void can only be filled with God and a personal relationship with him. God has given within each of us an instinct for him. And as his word says, all around us, his creation declares his existence. We try, we try to satisfy and fill the spiritual thirst by all kinds of experiences things, physical thrills, experiences, emotional experiences, other people, bucket lists, material possessions, anything really to give us something to pursue and a reason to live, thinking that this is going to bring me satisfaction and happiness, something that I'm longing for in my life. But Jesus said in John 14:4, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. That's what satisfies. What we're really craving and needing can only be satisfied by a close relationship with God himself. Him through a saving relationship, a trusting relationship in the Lord Jesus. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I want to be with you so much, Lord, he says. When can I come and be with you and stand before you in person and see you face to face? Job said, I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. 
How my heart yearns within me. Revelation 22, verses 23 to 24 says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face. Do you yearn to see the Lord face to face one day? How about this very day? Are you ready? John wrote, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He was wanting to hasten it. Now, Lord. And until that moment when we are with him face to face and that day is coming, do you want to hear from him in prayer and in his word? Do you have that longing for him? You know, when we love someone, we can't wait to be with them. We can't wait to see them. Uh, Right now, my son, as I said, he's away at college. He's a long way away. He's up in Seattle. And once a week, we get to Skype. And that's when you get to see them face-to-face on the computer. And, oh, my goodness, I look forward. It's Monday night is our Skype night. I look forward to Monday night all week. And I don't know, it's, it's great to talk to my friends and talk to people, talk to my mom, people I love on the phone. But I love the Skype, the added bonus of getting to see his face. Oh, look at his new haircut. I sent him a bag of almonds that Valerie picked up for me at Costco, and then he was holding them up to the camera. Mom, these are made in, these are from Seattle. You said, <laughs> I sent him from down here all the way up to Seattle, and he was laughing at that because he was telling me, Mom, they do have food up here in Seattle. You know, but I love this guy because I can see him. Like, dude, pan your room. Let me see. Oh, you made your bed, dude. You know, did you make it just because it's Skype day and mom's going to see it in the background or what, you know? But I love that. It takes the sting off because I'm getting to see him face to face and I look forward to it so much. That's because I love him and we love the company of the person we love. We love spending time with them. They love us. We love them. And so it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to get together. And if you don't think of the Lord in this way, then you haven't fully discovered how wonderful he is. And how much he loves you and wants to spend that quiet and close time together with you. How often does he tug at our hearts and how often does he allow situations to come into our lives that may drive us to our knees seeking him. And it's unfortunate that it would take sometimes such strong measures to get us to that place where we're finally like, oh, oh God, I need you. Well, everything's rosy-posy, I'm forgetting about you. And now all of a sudden, it's way over my head. It's way too painful. It's overwhelming. I need you. Why wait till it gets to that point? Find out how much he loves you. Be in his word and you'll see. Spend that time with him and just walk with him each day and in each moment. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? My tears for food, I bet some of us know what that means. I know what that means. Face down, chomping on the carpet while you pour out gallons of tears and sob your eyes and heart out for hours and on end. You, you can't eat. You're, just, you're, you're eating your tears. You're exhausted. You're overwhelmed. You're full of sorrow or affliction to the deepest depths that are within you. Maybe you're asking God, why? Why? Where are you, God? Where were you when this happened? Or those around you are saying it. Family members, people you work with or know you. Well, where's God? Why isn't he helping you? 
And the author describes so well his affliction. It's internally and it's externally. And what others are saying about all his troubles, that because God did not immediately appear for his deliverance, they wrongly concluded that God had abandoned him. That's because the world doesn't see God, because the world is not looking for God and they're not seeking him. They really don't want to see him or find him. But the Lord promises faithfully, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29:13. Have you done that in the middle of your situation and crisis and wonder, where are you, God? Has there been a hardship or tragedy and you gave up waiting on the Lord because you couldn't see his hand working or figure out how God could work any of this for any good whatsoever? But you know what? He declares he is working. He declares that he is, whether you or I can see it or not. He is working in your situation and mine. God declares in his word that he will not fail or forsake you. His timing is not your timing. I hate that. I like my timing better because it's now. Lord, I need you now. But how many times has he been there? I have been standing in my job working, and I'm like, Lord, I can't go five more minutes. Lord, I need that strength now. I need that attitude that is going to be uh, reflecting you, not complaining. I need to be your light now, and I'm, I'm, I'm fizzled. My flame is flickering, and it's about to go out, and he has done that, and I have seen that over and over again. This psalm has so come alive to me this week. He has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned me, and he won't. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 14. The Lord gives us so many assurances in his word. Blessed are those who wait for him. And to wait patiently for him to act. Wait for him to handle the matter and to not lose heart. And as Christians, we walk by faith. At least we're supposed to. You walk by faith, right, ladies? Not by feelings or by what we see. D.L. Moody said, faith takes God without any ifs. Faith takes God without any ifs. Corey Tenboom said, Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. George Mueller said, The only way to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. And God does allow trials. He does allow conflicts, battles, testings along the way. Why? To strengthen our faith. They are a necessary discipline, and you never know how much you need God and have faith in him until it is tested. And God already knows if your faith and my faith, if it's strong or weak. He lets us see for ourselves if our faith is weak and puny, or is it growing stronger? Am I finally, Lord, taking you at your word? Am I believing you? Even when I can't figure out what's happening, even whether or not I can see you working immediately in the situation, am I believing you? Trust God's word and his power, which are established facts, more than you trust your own feelings and experiences and what your eyes see or what your emotions feel. Why? Because we lack understanding. We don't know all the details involved, but God does. 
God knows all the people involved. He knows what he said. He knows what they're doing. He knows what his plan is. He knows that his plans and purposes for you are good. God knows all of it. And so why would I want to be the one driving when I can't see the road two feet in front of me, like when we have that pea soup fog? Let him. He can see right through it. Our emotions blind us. They confuse us. They deceive us. We talked about earlier in our leaders meeting, uh, somebody brought up, you know, being dehydrated, dehydrated from the Lord, from his Holy Spirit, from his word. You know what? When we get dehydrated, our vision gets blurry. It is not sharp. It is not focused. We're losing our perspective. The Lord and his word will not ever fail us or deceive us. It is 2020, and he sees behind. He sees ahead. He sees all around. Verse 4, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. The New Living Translation. I love it. My heart is breaking, he says, as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy, giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. I'm going into church. The music is starting. The worship. I'm, I'm going to be the first in the doors. I'm sitting in the front row, and I'm with people who love the Lord. That's how we could relate it to ourselves. This was written either during the time David was driven out of his home by King Saul, who was trying to murder him out of jealousy, This went on for a decade or years later when David had to flee his home again because his son Absalom was trying to assassinate him and usurp the throne and take over the kingdom. He's pouring out his heart. I'm I'm homesick. I miss being in the company of others who love you, Lord, being with those other believers. I couldn't wait to get there and sing your praises. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Now the psalmist is talking to himself. Have you ever done that? I do that all the time. He's saying, why am I so discouraged and depressed? I do that to myself. I could have had a V8. Why did I eat that chocolate dinner? I could have had a V8. Why am I worrying? I could have, Lord, I should have remembered you. Why am I laying here languishing and chomping on the carpet? I'm so bummed. Ah, Lord, I could have had a V8. I could, I could have remembered too. Verse 6, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. You can feel his despair. Is, he, is this guy bipolar? No, he just he's expressing all that anguish and that pain and this despair. He's being honest. He's being honest. And then he's remembering. Then I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Lord, I am so discouraged. But no matter where I may be in this world, whether I'm up on this mountain, I'm over here, no matter how far away from home I am, I will remember you and that you are right here with me. And you have promised that you will never leave me nor forsake me. So even when I'm going into that Roman slave ship and all the people around me are cursing and muttering. 
The Lord's right there with me, giving me the strength to row one more time. He's right there with you. I've got to remember what you say, Lord, and who you are. You're reliable. You're faithful. I can't be defeated by these emotions and circumstances. Deep, verse 7, calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. So during the most difficult hour that could enter a human life, and some of you have had that most difficult hour already, and some of you, that most difficult hour is coming. We all have one at some point in our life, the most difficult hour. And during all the confusion and the difficulty that is sweeping over us in that hour, so much so that it looks like it's going to, do me in, it's going to crush me and drown me, I will remember they are waves that you, that in your wisdom and love, have allowed. God allowed those waves. Things are bad, but they're not always going to be so. After the storm, there's going to be a calm. The sun does break through the clouds, and the storm is over. But in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the storm, oh, we forget and we lose hope that the sun is ever going to shine again. Don't we do that? Lead me to you, Lord, in the midst of this storm. I'm going to read to you a poem written by Annie Johnson Flint. And she was a woman who was orphaned and who struggled with terrible health problems, and she was stricken with arthritis to such a degree that it crippled her. It was so painful. And she also suffered from cancer. And this was back in the 1800s before they even had any effective treatments for these diseases. Yet through all these sufferings, she wrote more than 6,000 hymns, gospel songs of praise, poems of faith. When Annie came to this part of Psalm 42 and read verse 7, She truly understood what turbulent waters and waves billowing over her meant. Here is her poem called His Billows. They are God's billows, whether they go over us, hiding his face in smothering spray and foam, or smooth and sparkling, spread a path before us, and to our haven bear us safely home. They are God's billows, whether for our succor, And that's an older English word that means to help give assistance in time of difficulty. He walks across them, stilling all our fear. Or to our cry, there comes no aid, no answer. And in the lowly silence, none is near. They are God's billows, whether we are toiling through tempest-driven waves that never cease, while deep to deep with clamor loud is calling, or at his words, they hush themselves in peace. They are God's billows, whether he divides them, making us walk dry-shod where seas had flowed, or lets tumultuous breakers surge about us, rushing unchecked across our only road. They are God's billows, and he brings us through them. So has he promised, so his love will do, keeping and leading, guiding and upholding. To his sure harbor, he will bring us through. Psalm 34:19 says, "Many are the afflictions of the righteous." All right. Can I see a show of hands of who hates that promise? Hello, I hate that promise. I don't like afflictions. But you know what? Let me read the rest of the verse because it is truly a rainbow after the storm because he promises 
but the Lord delivers us out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers me out of them all. Hey, I'm going to come through this because God says so. Does God ever lie? No. Even though I am having to endure this trial right now, I will yet praise him. Now, verse 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. The God of my life. God is my life support. Without him, I cannot live. He's that drink of water that is going to sustain me. We have a constant dependence on God. We don't always get that. He wants us to realize that and often will allow things into our life that will bring us to this realization. Lord, if you don't help me, if you don't give me that strength for five more minutes for one more day, I won't be able to do it. Lord, if you don't encourage me now and minister to me now, I'm going to just... I'm going to go just jump off the roof. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to lose it. If you don't help me now, Lord. And he wants us to realize that, that we are dependent on him. I really realized what life support was all about recently. Harry's father recently passed away uh, last month, and he was on life support a couple of days before he passed away. And they would turn off the breathing apparatus to see if he would be able to sustain breathing on his own. But very soon after it would be turned off, he would start to fail, and they would need to turn it back on and place him back on life support. And that's when they realized, you know, he is not able to sustain breathing himself. And I realized that that's the way it is in my life with me depending on the Lord. Without that connection... I weaken and I start to fail. And all that sustains me comes from him. All that sustains me. Think about that for a minute. Write it down. All that sustains me. What sustains you? All that sustains you. He holds my very breath in his hand. He is the one who has given me this life and these legs to stand on and a, and a mind he, has the, he is the one who has given me eternal life. He is the one who has given me salvation. He is the one who has given me the very faith by which I believe that. And I don't have time to go into the references for all of those things I just told you, but they're all from his word and from verses that he has declared to us. All that we have, he has given us, and all that sustains us is from him. He is our life support. And he hasn't promised us a problem-free life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. We will have some hard trials. We have had some hard trials. His word tells us it prepares us, though. And I have another poem of Annie's about this that is called What God Has Promised. God has not promised us skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised us sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain, but God hath promised us strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. God hath not promised we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He hath not told us we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. 
But God hath promised us strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. God hath not promised smooth roads and wide, swift, easy travel, needing no guide, never a mountain, rocky and steep, never a river, turbid and deep. But God hath promised us strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. No, God has not forgotten about you. He hasn't forgotten about me. I'm the one who's forgotten about him. Each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. He is my life support. Verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He hasn't forgotten me. I've forgotten about God. So I'm just wandering around in my grief and confusion. Well, I better go talk to God because he's the only rock to build upon and the rock to take shelter in. He's the rock of ages. He's the rock that is immovable and secure. Verse 10. As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Breaking of my bones. That's agonizingly painful. It's a crippling pain. Those fiery darts from the enemy wanting me to doubt God's plan and his timing. He's shooting them at me. He's shooting them at me. He's relentless. The enemy wanting me to give up and believe lies and to start panicking so that I grab the steering wheel from the Lord and just drive myself into a ditch. That's the enemy wanting me to do that. When we panic and despair and fret and get despondent, we start losing perspective. We're blinded. We're confused. Get on that faith armor and get on those faith spectacles and get them on right away. The shield of faith is going to deflect those fiery darts of doubt from the enemy. It's a battle for your mind, ladies. It's a battle for your thinking. It's a battle for your heart. But faith conquers that enemy. So let's believe God, not the enemy. Verse 11, why are you cast down on my soul? He's repeating it again. And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Have you been talking to yourself and asking yourself that question too? Why am I discouraged? Why am I so sad? Why am I upset and disquieted? Corey Ten Boom memorized a little verse while she was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp. She, in her biography, said she would say it over and over to herself just so she wouldn't go crazy. Look within and be depressed. Look without and be distressed. But look at Jesus and be at rest. Well, I need some talking to you from the Word of God, from God's Holy Spirit reminding me of what He says in it. And we can actually talk ourselves out of depression, discouragement, and defeat. Corey Tenboom reminded herself and did that. I am going to forget the misery and remember the mercy. I'm going to remember the God of mercy who loves me, just like David did. Though he was hunted for ten years by King Saul, 
he could still say, Last week, Psalm 23, Surely love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He could say that towards the end of his life, after all he'd been through. He, the Lord, will give me what I need. Do I need comfort? He's my comforter. And remember last week's lesson from Psalm 23. He'll lead me where I need to go. He's not going to forsake me. He gives me victory over sin and doubts. He restores and refreshes and strengthens me and provides for me. He comforts me. He's given me a future and a hope. And he is the one who has declared that he will work all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. Woohoo, that applies to me. Thank you, Lord. It applies to you. Thank you, Lord. It doesn't apply to everybody out there, but it applies to you. It applies to you because you love the Lord. You're his. You belong to him. He has redeemed you. Jesus is your savior. If Jesus is your savior, that verse applies to you, that he's going to work it all together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That is yours. We just have to be honest with God. Confess it all to him. We can't deceive or fool him. He knows we're upset or we're afraid that we're sad, we're struggling. It's an honest confession of what we're experiencing. And God's wanting us to just bring it all to him. Hello? God calling. Bring it to me. So that he can give us what we need and bring us through stronger than ever in our trust, in our faith in him, and our reliance on him, dependent on him as our life support, quenching our thirst, lifting us up when we thought those waves were going to overcome us and drag us under. Though weeping has endured for a night, and it's been a long night for some of you, yet joy will come in the morning. God has promised it, Psalm 30, verse 5, and I will yet praise him. Let's pray. Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you keep your promises. We have so many accounts in your word from the first page to the last, Lord. And in our own lives, Lord, all these testimonies sitting in this room of how you have worked, how you've answered prayer. And if there's someone here today, Lord, who doesn't have that assurance, who doesn't know, Lord, how faithful you are and that you are the God who saves, that you are the God who provides, that you are the life support God, I pray, Lord, that they would just bring it all to you right now and surrender their heart to you, that they would just ask you, Lord Jesus, to be their Lord and Savior and that their life support connection would be plugged in and turned on. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we go into our small groups. Lord, connect us with one another to encourage one another. Knit us together, Lord, in friendship and as sisters and as your daughters. And send us forth here, Lord, with a blessing of just a greater trust in you and love for you, a closer connection to you. And ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.